Hello, friends. Before we get this episode underway, Eric and I would like to express our uh, condolences to uh, Brian James Snedler, who passed away. Uh, by the time you guys hear this um, podcast, it'll probably be a couple of weeks or so uh, since, but um, he passed away and he, uh, you may remember him from an excellent uh, interview that we had, a conversation talking about his uh, wonderful synth project known as Endless Reach. He was also a member of several other projects throughout the community and was a real stand-up guy. So rest in peace, Brian James Snedler. Um, it was uh, really cool chatting with you and hanging out with uh, you on your very short time on this earth. introduce uh, the podcast. Uh, welcome to Accelerative Thrust. My name is Dan. And I'm Eric. And uh, so speaking of being clever, uh, what follows is a suggestion that I had that was totally not clever. And that is to celebrate our 81st episode. <laughs> what do you guys think of that one? Yeah. Of Class all the Classic things, milestone. <laughs> of all of the reasons that you can think of of why you... Uh, are going to quit listening, this uh, probably will take the cake, won't it? Uh, so probably. Yeah. 80th episode, Andrew Stewart Klein, last episode, mm -hmm. fantastic conversation. Mm -hmm. First interview in a long time. Mm -hmm. I was born in 1980. Mm. And then I thought, oh. why not celebrate that? And I'll tell you why not celebrate that, because uh, <laughs> celebrating 81 sounds better. For oh, yeah. some reason. Well, it's one louder, isn't it? Mainly because I forgot to mention anything about me born in 1980 oh, in the last yeah. episode. So th this is all making sense, right, Eric? Why this is leading to this. Yeah. Yeah, also, no, no, I, it, it is. Yeah, it is. <laughs> also, I decided to, um, I uh, made a suggestion to Eric to review double albums because I uh, listened to a double album. And I thought this would be a great excuse for me to suggest we listen to double albums. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we have a, uh, two double albums that we're reviewing today uh, that we made each other listen to. And then we also have a really fantastic, and we'll get into that more, uh, just a local talent overall. That's mm -hmm. all I'll say to that. But you know what? Before we get to all of that, I thought we could play a game. And Eric agreed to play my game. And that game is something that I can't name yet because oh it doesn't have a name. But wow. what this I is am like going inside is, the mind of Jigsaw right now. It is, yeah. My, my mind is all over the place all the time. I'm going to call this Dan's uh, excuse. <laughs> Dan's excuse. Let's just call it that. Dan's excuse. Um, we'll just leave it at that. So uh, I found this list of the 10 best albums of 1981. Mm, and I just yeah. thought it'd be kind of cool and fun. Uh, maybe not cool, but fun. And <laughs> maybe, maybe not, not even fun. fun. <laughs> <laughs> maybe not even fun. Who knows? <laughs> We're going to see where this goes. Uh, for me and Eric, just to kind of um, go through these 10 albums that Slant Magazine or slantmagazine.com went over in Mar on March 2nd, 2020, it says. So this is the 10 best albums of 1981. Before we get started... Uh, I'll list off uh, some of the honorable mentions. Black Flags Damaged. I didn't know mm, that came out in 81. Wow. That is an honorable mention. That's an, oh, yeah, yeah. That's a really good that's point. That's a why is really that, important record. Why is that not on here? Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying a, it's good. <laughs> that's almost. No, it is a, good. That's almost a discredit. But you know what, though? Um, it is actually, I don't think, nearly as good as a lot of people give it credit uh, but no. that's a whole other yeah. thing. Uh, my favorite 
we've talked about this. I think both of our favorites black flag releases the first four years, which I'm sure is very frustrating to some listeners. I'm sure it is. Um, but, and also you know, I like whatever. my war a lot better than damaged. Yeah. Mm. I like damaged a lot. I mean, it is, it, yeah, it is what it is. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it totally influenced everything that came after it. It's important. Sure did. You know, sure did. No, yeah. no, you can't deny that. That's for sure. If not for TV Party alone, which I still think is a killer track. <laughs> I, I really love TV Party. I love that song. It's just so absurd. Yeah. I love I in uh, Repo Man when Emilio Estevez is like kind of Charlie Brown kicking a can down the street sort of moment. And he's just kind yes. of singing that to himself. It's really cool. <laughs> I'm going to have to uh, revisit Repo Man sometime. I know I saw it. And, but when I was really young and I have not really revisited it. And I feel like that's, it's one of those things that I need to revisit for sure. Yeah. It's, it's um, too good. Cool. I'll have to check it out. The police ghost in the machine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 That's got some good stuff. Good on it. Uh, yeah. And then I don't know, there's a Stevie Nicks record. Um, Which one? Belladonna. Belladonna. Yeah. That's yes, a good Belladonna. record. Elvis Costello and the attractions trust. Yeah. That's pretty good. <laughs> Uh, these are many reviews from Eric, but many, many reviews. Yes. Anyway, so those are some of the honorable mentions. Yeah. All right. So, do you want to start, start at number? Let's start yeah, at yeah. ten. Let's start at ten. Okay. Yeah. So, I have absolutely. I'll just let you know whether or not. Like, I figure we could just let the listeners know if we're familiar with the sure. record that is mentioned. So, yeah. Number ten. Uh, speaking of sex, murder, drugs, and bad vibes. That's the first. Uh, Mm-hmm. thing that says it was the tagline of this record which i think is automatically cool um number 10 the gun club fire of love uh yeah. nope not familiar but i've heard a lot about the gun club how about you eric yeah i like this record a lot i don't know how to describe it uh it you know it sort of brought something uh into contemporary underground rock music that was sort of missing sort of like this real heavy blues kind of inspired you know just by regular blues uh screaming jay hawkins things mm-hmm. like that um uh howlin' wolf you know real wild mm-hmm. kind of blues no one else was really doing that not that it was putting out records anyway um and so i think yeah directly spawned all that stuff john spencer uh, white stripes not to mention all the other bands throughout the 80s stuff like that um and also kid congo powers is the guitar player um and kid congo powers rules oh and, yeah and um he was also in the bad seeds uh sure but yeah i think it's a great record super super cool and not like anything else at the time cool that's on my uh checklist nice. um kid crayole and the coconuts fresh fruit in foreign places uh not familiar, but this sounds yeah. really interesting. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Eric? No, I don't. I've heard the name, but I don't know it. Uh, I'd like the description here. A perfect distillation of his polyglot blend of mutant disco, musical theater, and big band. Whoa. So, yeah, that sounds kind of nuts. That does cool. sound nuts. Uh, number eight, Gang of Four, Solid Gold. Yes, I uh, I enjoy Gang of Four. Um, I'm not as familiar with them as uh, I feel like should be, but uh, I have listened to Solid Gold, and this is a uh, a really cool record. How about you, Eric? Hmm. Never listened to it. Nope. Hmm. I don't know Gang of Four. I always thought they were sort of like a angular punk sort of deal, but um, never really gave them a chance. Probably that's should. Exact, that's exactly what they are. You actually hmm. just nailed the... Uh, I, I would say they have definitely a dance like a mechanical oh. dancey feel to them too. Cool. I think they probably heavily inspired like bands like the liars oh. uh, in their, in their early days. Uh, cool. Cause before liars really went kind of like, there was like that dance punk sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and liars were kind of part of that with their first album uh, before mm-hmm. like, uh, what's the one record uh, they were wrong. So we drowned or whatever it was called yeah. before they really went kind of experimental and kind of just, lost their minds <laughs> which i yeah. mean their first record which i can't think of the title was pretty dance punky or just like 
stuff like Block Party or even like Friends Ferdinand. Uh, I'm sure we're heavily influenced by Gang of Four. Huh. Um, nice. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think it's probably fair to say they're probably the probably at very at least if not so at least close to the inventors of that sound. Wow. Awesome. I would say. Next is uh, Prince Controversy. Now, I've listened to a lot of Prince records. Mm-hmm. I actually am not familiar that much with this one. No, me neither. Uh, I know the track Controversy. Uh, it's really cool. It kind of reminds me of that song White Horse, if you remember that mm-hmm. song. Yes. Uh, like the production part of it, real sort of minimal and electronic and, and funky. But mm-hmm. the rest of the record... I have no idea. There's a song called Jack You Off, which <laughs> I don't know. That's cool. Ronnie yes. Talk to Russia. That sounds cool. That sounds cool. I, I should give it a shot. Definitely. And you know, the thing with Prince, uh, and, and I love Prince, and he was pretty diverse, but a lot of times you kind of know what you're getting with a Prince record, I think. But then again, he does surprise quite often, too. So. He did a lot of uh, a lot of different things, but w- what I mean is, you kind of know what you're getting with Prince. Is you can always tell that it's Prince, you know, for sure. So really cool. Next up is one that I um, I've actually been meaning to check out, and that's the mm-hmm. number six Tom Tom Club self titled record, yeah. um, which has two members of the Talking Heads, from what I understand. Yeah, at least two. That's mm-hmm. my understanding. Yeah. I've been meaning to check this out. Uh, this kind of sounds like it would be up your alley. Have you it checked is. it out, Eric? I, I love it. Actually, beyond love it. I think it um, it's it's amazing. And the song Genius of Love is in my top five favorite songs of all time. And that is not me being hyperbolic. It is one of the best songs I've ever heard. It's so fun. And um, uh, listeners, if they don't know the song. I mean, the second you start it, you'll be like, oh, okay. But sure. Mariah, Mariah Carey sampled it. And I can't remember which one. Let me just look real quick. Fantasy. Yep. Um, I believe that um, Old Dirty Bastard was on the remix. Oh, cool. It had a verse on the remix. Yeah. So yeah, it's a great record. And if you like, if you like Talking Heads from that era, I don't know why you wouldn't like it. Uh, it gets way goofier. Um and they sort of let themselves get goofier, which is really cool. Because even though Talking Heads somewhat sound-wise can get a little goofy, as far as the presentation, subject matter, and things like that, I think it's delivered very earnestly. I don't think... Sure. It doesn't seem like they're having much fun with the subject matter. Sure. You know? Sure. So this is sort of like being able to hear those crazy musical ideas with a little bit of fun, too. That gives me more incentive to check it out that yeah. makes me even more stoked to hear that eric so, <laughs> uh that's another check mark for me um nice. okay so the next one i'm familiar with this band um and i i struggle you might remember this eric mm-hmm. but uh they kind of had a couple of hits on the radio the human Big League, time. dare yeah and what were the hits that they had i'm trying to remember don't you want me yeah i mean you can basically go into any yeah. um any grocery store and it'll be plain right you know, at some um, point i don't i think that the single fascination came out around this time as well but i don't think it appears on the actual album but that's another amazing human league song i'm sure. sure that i probably heard that but you know i'm i it's just a memory block right now now this this next one this is another one that i i'm pretty sure and let me know if i'm wrong eric but i'm about 99 sure you've probably heard this one mm-hmm. um Brian Eno and David Byrne, My Life in the Bush of Ghosts. And I've got to make a confession. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have not gone down the Brian Eno rabbit hole oh. uh, yet. That's that's another check mark. Uh, how about oh, you, Eric? I love, I love My Life in the Bush of Ghosts. I would say that that record, I remember getting it on cassette from either Musicland or Jax after cassettes were sort of outdated. Mm-hmm. And I was blown away by it. It was my introduction to... Um, sort of global music, my introduction to electronic avant-garde music. And I had no idea. I mean, I technically knew who David Byrne was from like watching the Talking Heads videos or whatever, but I didn't know his name was David Byrne. So I didn't know who Brian, you know, or David Byrne were. 
And so this record just came across as like something I never even thought about it existing. Like the the rhythms and how things are put together and the construction of it, I had never heard anything like it. And I, I think I probably heard it pretty early, 1988 maybe is what mm. I'm thinking. Um, and so I didn't even have the vocabulary or experience to understand what I was hearing. I just knew it was really cool. And yeah, I, I don't know. It, like I said, it was a very formative sort of release for me. Wow, that's really cool that you heard it that early too. Yeah, yeah. the, the uh, cheap tape bin, the sale tape bins, that was where I, um, I, I got a lot of introduction to things that otherwise I wouldn't have heard. You know, was that because at uh, Music Land? Yeah, Music Land or Jacks, both or Walmart. Sure. And like, seriously, like two dollars if it has a cool cover. Like, why not try it? Who cares? You know, mm-hmm. you get some crappy yeah. ones like Phantom Rocker and Slick, which is the band that the other Stray Cat started. Like, <laughs> you, you know, you get crappy tapes too. That but, is great. <laughs> but like sometimes you get you get uh, really good ones too. So. I uh, found a copy of Sleep Jerusalem at wow. um, the Muscatine Music Land for like one ninety nine. Yeah, wow. that's, <laughs> that's that amazing. Was, uh, pretty crazy. That was my introduction to stoner rock. I wasn't ready yet, but I'm not saying Sleep Jerusalem was not a great record. It's it's a great record to me now, mm-hmm. but at the time. I think I just wanted to hear corn when it came to heavy music. So number three, I know for a fact, you know, this one, we've talked about this group Mm -hmm. on this podcast, new order movement. I still regret, regrettably have not gone down the rabbit hole of new order. I really Mm -hmm. need to get my butt in line. Yeah. What do you think of this one? Great. You know, it's hard to know some of the releases, like if they were, released here or in the UK and what they have on them and stuff. But the release of this that I heard had um, Ceremony and Temptation on it, um, which are probably, I don't know, arguably the most influential synth pop songs ever, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, I I think it's super important. Yeah, and I, I love New Order. I love Joy Division. Yeah, I don't have much else to say about that. I guess just great cool. stuff. Uh, this next one I have heard, uh, number two, Grace Jones Nightclubbing. Um, it's been a while since I listened to it. I checked it out from the Muscatine Library oh. uh, when I was still listening to CDs. Mm-hmm. And I enjoyed it. I'm going to revisit it. But uh, yeah, I really like this. Uh, what Have you heard this before, Eric? No, I haven't listened to okay. it any grace jones to be honest so i should probably give it a shot um i regrettably have to um say that i can't really speak on it too Mm -hmm. much i remember that i enjoyed it i can't make an honest assessment of it until i revisit it again but Mm -hmm. i will say it i really liked it when i listened to it it was probably about 10 years ago or so and i really only listened to it like once so that's Mm -hmm. it's one of those things you know what i mean it's yeah. kind of like Repo Man. It's like uh, I just have to revisit it, but I know that I liked it. Sure. Yeah, um, absolutely. Number one. Now, this is somewhat interesting to me as a number one choice. Uh, top 10 best albums of 1981. Craftwork, Computer World. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've listened to this. Uh, I've listened to at least three or four Craftwork albums. Mm-hmm. This, I've definitely listened to Man Machine. Yeah. Uh what is it? Trans Euro Express. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is really cool. I, um, I've always enjoyed craft work. I, my introduction to craft work was big black. Sure. Um, the album songs about fucking, uh, their cover of the model, uh, mm-hmm. which I did not know for the longest time was a craft work song. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it was funny because a band that I was in, in high school covered, uh, the model when we thought we were covering a big black song. Nice. We didn't realize we were covering yeah. a cover of a Kraftwerk song covered by Big Black. It's <laughs> a lot of covers. I'll be the judge of when we get too meta. Holy shit! So, Speaking of covers, it's a lot of covers. Do you have the single for that Big Black, the model? No, but I've seen it. Oh and my it's god! Fantastic. It is, is so is that good. the one? 
that's the one where they uh they kind of do a tribute to yeah the, well right? one side of it is for the model and so they're mm-hmm. dressed like craft work uh the mm-hmm. other side is he's a whore but oh cheap, cheap trick, trick yeah and they yeah, look yeah. just like cheap it's so good it's it is great. Yes. It's a yes. wonderful cover art, especially for a single. Like, I can't imagine how much work went into that. And it just goes to show the oddities of Steve Albini's taste yeah, in the 80s, sure. you know? Yeah. But yeah, Computer um, World. Yeah. Um, computer World. I can't even start to talk about it. I, it is my favorite Kraftwerk album, which is saying a lot, because I, I love yeah. Kraftwerk. Um I find the man machine to be a little poppy, like song oriented, if that makes sense. Right. And radioactivity, yep. I really like a lot. Trans Europe Express is really great. I mean, just just that influence on what became uh the Africa Mabata song, um, Planet mm-hmm. Rock, all that is amazing. But computer world is is outrageous. It is unashamedly electronic every second of it i mean there may be a human voice here and there but usually it's a vocoder usually it's some kind of uh machine talking but it somehow ends up being really organic and beautiful and yes uh and there's some moments in it that transcend all of it i'm thinking specifically about about halfway through computer world 2 the track computer world 2 it just goes into this part it's all it's like very meditative for me but also what makes computer world really cool to me is like how prophetic the whole thing is like they're talking about how it's going to be the future of banking and business mm-hmm. and everything there's even uh the song computer love which is amazing talks yeah. about meeting other single people on the computer uh, yeah. and setting up yes. dates like all this stuff in 1981, pretty yeah. outrageous. And like I said, it's just a really pretty album, even though it's so stark. Um, I will admit that Pocket Calculator is a little goofy. I mean, mm-hmm. if you if you don't suspend your disbelief, sort of, a song about a Pocket Calculator is, is very stupid. But, right. <laughs> but the intro to Numbers, uh, which I think was sampled by... Um, Missy Elliott, funky uh, mm-hmm. as hell. It automatically kind of uh, washes away the the flavor of a pocket calculator. But uh, anyway, I could go on about Computer World for the rest of my life. So <laughs> that's, that's another. I another think they're. Thing. I think they're right. I think that's the best album of 1981 because it might be the best album of the 80s. I don't know. Sure, sure. Uh, that's um. It's interesting because um. That's another thing about Kraftwerk is how um, how important they were actually to the development of hip hop as a genre. You mentioned oh, for sure. Yeah. Missy Elliott. I mean, mm-hmm. all of the old school guys, everyone from LL Cool J to Run DMC to Africa, especially Africa Mbata. Oh, for sure. Uh, KRS-One, Chuck D, they'll all talk about the importance of Kraftwerk, yeah. all the old DJs and everything. And of course, that has to do a lot with Planet Rock. But mm-hmm. um, it's yeah, um, that's the thing is um, craft work. I think I think you're I, th- I think you hit it on the head there, Eric. It's it's got a a very cold sort of I guess robotic feel to it. Like you mm-hmm. said, like it doesn't sound like there's a human voice. Yet it feels oddly human. Yeah. I, a couple of I, I am surprised by the absence of Black Flags Damaged. Um, yeah, and it being a um, honorable mention, at least at least there's that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I honestly I couldn't. I mean, I don't know enough about records that were released in '81 that I I couldn't think of a better list. Probably. I mean, no, I don't know. Yeah, Iron Maiden's Killers came out, but I mean, Killers, while it's a great record and one of my personal favorites mm-hmm. by Iron Maiden, I can't say that it really changed anything, you know? Yeah. Well, that makes me wonder, too, like if Slant, um, I don't know much about Slant, uh, but maybe they have a slant towards uh, punk rock and, and new and wave. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. Because all of this stuff on this best of list 
I mean, most of it is electronic. All of it yep. is underground. And all, uh, almost all of it is could be considered new wave. And so I, I bet if we looked at a full list of the records of 1981, we'd be like, what the fuck? Why wasn't that on there? You know? Right. So, yeah. Um, but this is a fine list. And I agree sure. with a lot yeah. of it. If, if nothing else, it's celebrating the fact that we're on our 81st episode. Yeah. And they, they knew so. that in 2020 uh, mm-hmm. that they should put this list out so we could use it. Speaking of prophecy, <laughs> I predict yeah. that we're going to review double albums. Ooh. Yeah. Wow. Let's see if that prediction uh, comes true. Okay. Come on, everybody. It's record time. Holy hell. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. Do I have a big one for you guys? Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> and that's because it's a double album. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, my pick for the double album, which gave birth to this idea, this absurd idea that we're going to be celebrating our 81st episode and we're going to be reviewing double albums. Um, first of all, um, my confession is is that I suggested to Eric that we do we review double albums because it was an excuse for me to send him this record. Because for some reason, when I listen to it, I'm like, for some reason, Eric Whitaker needs to hear this record. Mm-hmm. And um, you may agree or disagree. We'll see, Eric. So today is the day, is the brainchild of Steve Austin. Uh, originally from Nashville. I'm not sure if that's where Steve is still located. Uh, but um, today is the day is basically a solo project um, where he um, rotates different members and has different lineups. Um, he's still putting out records. Uh, today is the day is still putting out records. Um, I'm not sure if that means that he plays all of the instruments on the recordings. I would suspect not because at one time, Mastodon drummer Brand Daler was actually in the lineup, like I think in the early 2000s or maybe the late 90s or something. And um, I couldn't imagine Steve Austin being nearly as good as that guy on drums, but I mean, who knows? Maybe he is. Um, so today is the day kind of, um, they're an interesting group. I remember um, I had some friends that were really, really into this band. And for the longest time, I couldn't quite get into them. I don't know what it was, but something about them was just hard for me to grasp onto until I sat down and listened. I just actually sat down and listened to a record one day. And I thought, this is pretty awesome. And then I kind of gradually kept becoming a fan over time. And now I got to say that I love today is the day. Um, they, their early releases were put out on amphetamine reptile records. So the same, um, the same label as like some of the more off the wall Melvin's releases and unsane and stuff like that. So there's definitely a, a big noise rock element with these guys. Um, this was, uh, their sixth album and it came out in 2002. One of the things that um, I remember about this record is that a lot of people who were fans of Today's the Day absolutely hated it. And I don't understand why. Um, I guess I kind of understand why. If you were a big fan of what Today is the Day was doing before this record came out, uh, let's just say that this record is really really dark like i mean it's it's really dark uh, to the point where it sounds just absolutely bonkers at times not in the sense of like it the music isn't like really all over the place but i mean it really sounds uh well yeah just really really dark and brooding and and the production is sometimes almost reminiscent of like like really old school necro black metal. So it's it's got a really like sort of washy guitar sound. The drums are kind of boxy and really raw sounding, but in the best possible ways, I think. And um, 
there's elements of, like I said, there's elements of black metal, particularly mostly in the vocals sometimes. A lot of noise rock, a lot of sludgy sort of elements, elements of thrash, and just, you know, pretty much any sort of heavy, um, heavy style of music you can think of. Um, and it's really, really challenging to listen to at times, which I think is by design. I think there's actually parts of this record where I almost feel like he, Steve Austin purposely made it to kind of get under the skin of the listeners. Um, and I could be completely off about that, but that's kind of what it, and I don't think it's to be obnoxious. I just think that he, um, that's just, this is the kind of stuff that Steve Austin is into the kind of production. There's a lot of samples that really adds almost like a horror movie element to it. Or um, it's a lot of the samples seem to be from like murder mystery type stuff. So like, I don't know, documentaries uh, like Dateline or something about murders or confessions of people. Maybe they're samples from movies. Um Eric, you might be able to recognize mm -hmm. some of the samples that were going on there. But there's definitely a horror movie element to it, uh, I kind of feel. Um, but with that all being said, one of the things that I really like about this record is that there's also moments of pure beauty in it as well. There's some pianos, some acoustic guitars, um, where you can almost hear an influence of like classical guitar um you can definitely hear a jazz influence um particularly i would say at times jazz fusion type stuff definitely there's some ambience going on and maybe that's the reason why people had a hard time uh digging this album initially at first is because i think there were a lot of choices musically and production wise that steve austin made on this record um, that maybe delved into a little bit of avant-garde territory, maybe a little too much for the Today is the Day fans. Um, and there's some kind of white noise that, like, there's there's kind of a lot of layers on a lot of the songs. Like, you kind of hear some whooshing sounds and stuff like that kind of going on in the background. Um, but there's also a bunch of different weird instruments that are there as well. Um, like I hear some bells and things like that. Um, yeah, the guitar tones, the production, I would say is very dense. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not quite sure what was going through uh, Steve Austin's mind when he released this, but I, I really love it. Um, it is definitely, um, <laughs> it's two CDs and there's a couple of tracks that are, um, come pretty close to 20 minutes long. In fact, I think there's, if I remember correctly, there's one track at least on the second CD that is over 20 minutes long. Um, and sometimes it takes a little while to actually get to the song. Um, some of these tracks, I wouldn't even necessarily classify as songs, more, more like maybe soundscapes, if you will. Um, it's, it's definitely got a, when, when you listen to the other material that was put out by this group, it's definitely got a way more experimental sound in the production. And I think Steve produces everything. So I would say that he definitely picked some odd choices, um, for the production, but I think, I think it works really good for what he's trying to convey. And I mean, the way I see it is this is a somebody who's really into um, heavy music that's just trying to challenge the listener a little bit or annoy the listener mm -hmm. <laughs> and in the best way, uh, best way as possible. I love it, but it's an interesting listening experience. And uh, in my opinion, it keeps uh, the listener interested throughout. What did you think, Eric? Yeah, uh, my review is this is some wild ass bullshit. <laughs> no it's uh but it is it is some wild ass bullshit but it's good it is okay first i'll say that the only album i had ever heard by today is the day is temple of the morning star 
which came out like, I don't know, 25 years ago. So uh, what I thought they sounded like is nothing, really nothing like this release. <laughs> I mean, there's still elements of droney, heavy, doom, uh, stoner stuff. Uh, it, it It's throughout. And I'm, that's not to say that Temple of the Morning Star wasn't strange in its own mm-hmm. way, but it, for the most part, came off as sort of an experimental metal record. You know, sort of, it wasn't straight by any means, or standard. It was weird, but there was a, it was kind of at a time where a lot of weird stuff was happening. You know, like Wolves in the Throne Room or whatever. There was a lot of kind of strange metal happening. So this record does have elements of that. Um, It also has some other sort of conventional musical elements, like Dan was saying, like uh, classical or uh, some jazzy moments, things like that. But really, at its core, this is a totally experimental record. This is avant-garde music. Uh, It's like cut-up method kind of stuff or music concrete or found sound at times um yeah there are long interludes or pieces uh, some of them are super effective uh, at establish establishing sort of a, an atmosphere which like dan said is super dark some of them didn't work that well for me i was sort of like okay let's get to the meat of this thing and we never really did we just sort of hovered around the outskirts of what could be a main idea in a piece, you know, but yeah, it, uh, I really enjoyed, uh, the samples. Um, I always enjoy samples. I think it just might be because, uh, I grew up on industrial music. I grew up in the nineties, uh, when people sampled shit all the time for no reason, you know, but yeah, there's a sample of this guy named John Mark Byers. He, I think you might've even been referencing it about, him defending himself about killing his wife or whatever okay so john mark byers actually this comes from i think it's part three of a documentary series called paradise lost it was about the west memphis west memphis three uh basically three guys were like accused and convicted of killing three small children three boys um, most of the reasoning for their conviction was that they were into heavy metal and into the occult and things like that. Uh, so in their small town, obviously, that meant that they were murderers. So John Mark Byers was the main suspect to people that were into Paradise Lost um, because he kind of fit the profile. Later, his wife died and everyone thought that he killed her. And then a little later than that, he died in a car crash. So just by using samples like that it kind of puts you into the the mind of the person making this like they want it to be dark they want you to feel that and so the choices of samples are also important the other one that was a standout for me was uh sort of the pinnacle moment uh in rosemary's baby uh it's it's uh you know they all say god is dead uh hail satan stuff like that Mm -hmm. but yeah it works really well it's i I like that element uh, of it a lot um there's a lot of synths uh, a lot of electronics uh there's white noise there's like distortion that's so distorted it becomes white noise like static it's pretty cool the vocals are nuts that the the it's just like this screaming yeah it's like I don't, it, it reminded me honestly of uh, Yamataka Eye from the Boredoms. Mm, uh, sure. Like that sort of high pitched sort of screaming. Um, a lot of growling, dry lungs, metal vocals throughout. But yeah, uh, if I had to compare it to anything, I don't know, uh, like Conate, uh, as far as the starkness at moments. Um, I hate God also for just the brutality of it. Like I said, the Boredoms for the noise avant-garde aspect of it and vocally and it and it reminded me of um early skinny puppy too with the um samples and sort of the production of not being afraid to have it be nearly unlistenable at times as far as the noise goes and actually if i had to guess i would say that this was an attempt to represent sort of a um deteriorating mental state kind of like with the caretaker everywhere at the end of time sort of idea where 
this is the sound of a mind deteriorating. And so I think it is effective at that. So if all that sounds like something you'd be into, <laughs> then I think you should definitely check it out. If all that sounds like really dark, um, brutal, uh, challenging stuff that you might not be into, I would say that you're probably not going to be into it. I mean, I can't imagine someone saying, yeah, it was okay about this record. Like that's not an option. So, um, although I sort of am saying right now, that yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was, it was cool. And I'm glad to know that today is the day is weird as shit. Cause yeah. I didn't, I didn't know that. Well, so, this is, yeah. I, from what I've gathered, this is kind of a, like a, a complete just sort of left field mm. like one-off like a curveball in their discography okay for sure <laughs> yeah so yeah so i picked uh sort of a older record because it's it was hard for me to like really pin down what constitutes a double album you know what i mean like in the 90s and 2000s there were like double cds sure but a lot of times those were like extra material or sure. um outtakes and things like that it wasn't really presented like this is a full thing you know right. like there were a few like i don't know melancholy the infinite sadness and stuff um, that's the only one i can honestly think of. yeah i mean i'm sure there were a number sure. of them but in the heyday of like two lps coming out you know as a a singular piece you know i kind of look at that more as a as a 70s sort of thing sure. um so my choice is uh, Mago Tago by Can, and it came out in 1971. I love this record, even if I can't pronounce the name of it. It has all of the stuff that I enjoy about Can from this point on, and it's already like almost fully realized, and that is pretty crazy. I think the big elements of this, this is the first record with their singer, uh, Demo Suzuki, and it changed a lot of things that he joined the band. Their other singer, um, Malcolm Moody, I think his name was, very cool voice, almost like a real wispy Bon Scott or something, or like uh, the singer from Dead Moon. I don't know, just really high and mm -hmm. kind of bluesy. Uh, I would say the music was closer to maybe like Captain Beefheart or something, like um, funky, jazzy blues-based rock and uh not to insult that at all like the song you do right is one of the coolest songs i know of like I, I love it and i love that era of can as well but this record with uh Damo suzuki the vocals take on a whole new sort of like reason to be there and a lot of times it's sort of to just add wildness to the moment so yeah then they went on to become more like uh, improvisational jams and cut up and electronic avant-garde and stuff like that, but still keeping that sort of like funky element. Yeah. They have uh, almost every song has really funky drums and uh, you know, I'm I, for years and years, I didn't actually care for syncopation, like that sort of funk kind of rhythm. Um, but when it's used right, I think it's really great and important. This also has a lot of strange, bendy sort of guitars, Not no longer really like carrying the song or playing the chords necessarily of the song, uh, more just like melodic leads throughout. Um, Damo Suzuki's vocals are so cool. They go from like these little high-pitched voices that seem like really far away, like across the room and very timid. They turn into like sort of emotive shouting you know, the bass is super solid and always doing something really cool and in the pocket. And it's in the face of all the other chaos that's happening. Uh, and it really provides a solid groove and a solid foundation for everything. Yeah, the songs are separated a little more by like slight lulls or long interlude changes between things. I, I And even the way it's separated... Uh, digitally, it almost feels like the songs switch in the middle of a track, which is weird, but cool because it's like, that is how you should be listening to it. More like one piece, you know, 
but yeah, the I don't know. The part of this record that really blows my mind is that it came out in 1971. This predates a lot of things that seem like they were contemporaries, but they really weren't. And that's not to say that this specifically influenced those people, right? But it did add to sort of the environment that the music was being created in, you know, the lexicon of music. And so I I don't think it was missed by a lot of people. I think a lot of things were taken from it, even if it was, you know, by proxy through a different band or whatever. A lot of the stuff that's introduced on this record, you can hear it afterwards in stuff that you wouldn't think might have been influenced by it. The Robin Gristle, Suicide, Kraftwerk, uh, Talking Heads, Sonic Youth, Radiohead, Folk Implosion, like just all kinds of anything, you know, uh, even, I don't even know, like Beck, like all sorts of stuff that you wouldn't even think this would matter to. I, I can hear it in all those things. But yeah, especially the use of uh, Drum Machine. Um, there's a song called Peking O that uses the drum machine in what even today would be considered a pretty insane way. So yeah, the, the foundations of Krautrock, the foundations of No Wave, New Wave, experimental, avant-garde, noise rock. I don't know. It's all there for me. And yeah, I think this is a really cool album. Uh, but yeah, I think it's really great and super enjoyable. What'd you think, Dan? Uh, yes. Um, I enjoyed the hell out of this album, Eric. I'm just going to get that right out of the way. Mm -hmm. Um, I've known about can for many, many years and I already had an idea in my head about what can sounded like. Mm -hmm. I've never actually listened to a full album from them, but I've heard some bits and pieces, but I feel like can is it's, for me, it was a band that was easily, or so I thought, identifiable whenever I was like trying to think of like something to compare something to that was just really kind of weird or like had elements of kraut rock. Because mm -hmm. from my perspective, it seems like Can was is kind of one of the main bands that comes up in the conversation of kraut rock and. I don't know if that is so much the truth or reality as it is just my perception of can. Um, so this is the first time I've actually sat down and listened to a full can record. Now, in my opinion, this is, this was a great introduction, Eric, mm. for me, um, cool. because I want to go down this rabbit hole. I made a playlist of all the can records so um, nice. I, I'm going to go through this. And um, it's such, in my opinion, it, it was such an engaging, interesting, challenging, but also I think a very fun listen. Mm -hmm. um, and some people may disagree with that. Um, I definitely, what I was kind of shocked by is, and I think you kind of were right about one thing for sure, Eric, um, is that this laid the foundation of kraut rock or at least kraut rock as I know it. Mm -hmm. But I was kind of shocked because a lot of this didn't really sound very kraut rock to me mm -hmm. or like what I perceive kraut rock to be, which could be a whole other conversation. Mm -hmm. Cause I'm sure you're a, a, a lot more well-versed in that conversation than I am. And uh, I agree with you. I can't believe this came out in 1971. Uh, I think this was insanely ahead of its time. I mean, I could see this as the blueprint for all of the groups that you mentioned, Eric, for sure. And a lot of other ones, which I'll get to here in a second. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's very like percussion oriented, like you mentioned, the drums, the way that they incorporate all of the rhythms and everything is just insane. I, I What I would say this is more than like, again, this, my perception of Krautrock I would say that this is kind of like the blueprint for like modern day experimental indie rock, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. There's, there's kind of like a um, sort of loose feel to the performance that 
kind of feels almost like almost like free jazz or something to me. Uh, yet I have, I struggle with actually trying to think of anything to compare it to, which I think is awesome. But at the same time, it also sounds very tight, very, and very planned out and well studied as well. Like I think everybody in this group obviously knows their place, um, when creating this music. And so there's a tightness, but then there's almost like a, I don't know, like if, if this makes any sense, and this might sound kind of ridiculous, but to me, this just sounded like some of the most like free music I've ever heard. Like, I mean, it just sounded like, I don't know, it sounded like they were just kind of going off and just having a, a good time playing this music. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure if that's what they were trying to convey or even if that's what was going on. But I, I got to say, I, I just had a blast. To me, every single thing about this, um, about these compositions and songs and everything, it really just built up to like excitement for me. Mm -hmm. I just never, I don't know, like I, I didn't know what to expect. And then there's also moments where, I don't know, like the song Mushroom, like that's the one that really like, when I listen to this, I'm like, this was in 1971. Mm -hmm. Like, because, okay, now I'm going to get into some of the, other bands on top of some of the ones you mentioned, like you mentioned talking heads. I, I cannot imagine talking heads um, forming the band that they did and not being influenced by this. Mm -hmm. um, but then also like you could go even further than like say folk implosion and you could, I mean, I could definitely hear how flaming lips mm -hmm. would have loved can, you know, um, King gizzard and the lizard wizard for mm -hmm. sure, man. Um, Animal Collective, Black Midi, oh, yeah. even Tropical Fuckstorm. Yeah. But then also, like, yeah, I think you mentioned Public Image Limited, Pill. Mm. Uh, maybe you did, maybe you didn't. I didn't, but yeah, absolutely. But I could definitely Good hear call. that. Uh, protect, uh, particularly the bass. Mm -hmm. Like you said, the bass almost, like, carries the songs or carries the performance in a mm. weird sort of way. So in in some ways, it's like, the bass is almost like the, um, I don't know, the center movement of mm -hmm. the, of the music, um, which also then reminds me of like a band like Fagazi, for instance, mm -hmm. um, because a lot of what Fagazi does, though completely different than what Can did, was very bass centric, yeah. you know? And so like, mm -hmm. I could almost, I wouldn't be surprised if Joe Lally from Fagazi probably listened to this band, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I hear some King Crimson. I even hear some Tool. Like I could yeah. imagine Justin Chancellor lo loving this band uh, from Tool. Um, and then also like the jazz element, the the composition really reminded me of like when the first time I listened to like Bitches Brew from mm -hmm. Miles Davis. Yeah, I and I I really literally have nothing else to say about it <laughs> other than the fact that. I wrote down in my notes Tago Mago instead of Mago Tago. Oh, yeah. So I put <laughs> I put them in the wrong order. Oh, so wow. um, it's named after but, something to do with Alistair Crowley. Like that. That's the weird part of this album. Like you said, I think it comes off as fun, but in reality, uh, the inspiration for this album is occultism. So interesting. Now that really makes sense <laughs> because it sounds. Yeah. It also sounds very otherworldly, quirky, mm -hmm. but also at times it also sounds dark. Mm -hmm. And I would say just exciting. Like, I mean, yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's just my reaction, but like it's dark in a completely different way than the Today is the Day record is dark. For sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, like that's just yeah. psycho, psycho dark. Uh, this is, yeah. um, it does sound like they're like at times it does sound like they're uh doing like some sort of ritual or something yeah. at times you know right. so Ch channeling that, something channeling yeah. something so right. that that really makes sense actually that it, this would be influenced in some way and you learn that a lot of music was influenced by Aleister Crowley yeah um yeah. 
So like Throbbing Gristle, you mentioned Throbbing mm-hmm. Gristle. Throbbing Gristle was totally into that stuff, like Genesis P. Orge, you know? For sure. Yeah. And uh, yes, 100%, I hear this in Throbbing Gristle as well. But mm-hmm. this is this is fantastic, man. This, 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 this is a holy grail, Eric. <laughs> I mean, we really, um, you really hit the nail on the head with this one, man. Wow. I've, awesome. I've said that how many times on this podcast, but <laughs> you really have been pounding a lot of nails lately. And yeah. I'm proud of oh, you thanks. for it. Honestly, it blew my mind. Just the song Mushroom Alone blew yeah. my mind that this yeah. came out when it did. I would say the song Mushroom and uh, Vitamin C, uh, those two songs for me really, they really represent what uh, what can became and what is great about them. Also, the, the track uh, Future Days off of the record Future Days uh, is mind-blowing. So, I don't know. Uh, yeah, Mushroom's I can't up there. So, yeah. I can't sure. wait to check it out. Uh, and you know what? Uh, listening to it, I'm like, this is the kind of music I wish that I could play. Oh, well, you know what I mean? Like, I'm sure you could this... do some aspect of that. Oh yeah, I mean, um, you know, right? No, or actually, okay, let me let me rephrase this. This uh-huh. is the kind of music that I wish I would have found musicians that wanted to play oh, this kind of music sure. with, right. <laughs> sort yeah. of thing. You do have a, a platform to reach out to musicians, so I there do. you go. Anyone want to start a can band with Dan? Dan's can band. I think we're going to call it Candor. <laughs> or Dandor. Yeah, Dandor. I would just Dandor. call it Dan's can band. But, Dan's know. can band. The Dan you do what you want. Band. It's your band. How about the Dan can band? The Dan can band. <laughs> oh, shit. Okay. So, you ready for the local? I am ready for the local. I'm going to ask you just one more time. And it's local. It is. Um... Okay, so the local review for this episode is by Ben Driscoll. The record is called Prior Salvage, and it just came out the beginning of September, which I don't know, by the time you hear this, it might be October, so it might not seem that new, but it's still pretty new. And I do have to say, after I uh, suggested that we um, talk about this, I realized that I had played bass on some of the songs. (laughs) (laughs) So I am not going to talk about the bass on uh, a few of the songs. And I don't think I would actually talk about the bass all that much anyway. Um, I would say the songs that I play on, the bass is uh, totally proficient. And that's about as far as I'll take it. But yeah, so with Ben, Ben is awesome. Ben is one of my really good friends uh we've played a lot of music together going back 20 years at this point um we played in a group called the heart attacks together and i've had the uh honor of playing on a lot of his stuff recently um it's cool um all this stuff is recorded live at least the stuff i was involved in which is a really cool experience um and i think you can hear it on the record then is one of my favorite songwriters and has been from the first time I heard him. And the I think one of the things I really like about it is he's really good at being a wordsmith. His turns of phrase are amazing and they're clever, but it's not overly poetic. It's really pragmatic and really authentic, actually. A lot of his songs feel like he's sort of just telling you about an experience he had, whether it be a very specific experience that happened in one evening or sort of um, uh, analyzing a place you're at in life or whatever. Um, But it's all very, like I said, authentic. It feels very much like he is living it. But unlike a lot of people that write that way, like I said, Ben really can put it together in a clever way and make you go, wow, that was a really cool lyric. And that sort of writing is a really nice contrast to the sort of like heady uh, nonsense that I usually listen to, <laughs> you know, like uh, it's really refreshing to just have someone tell me about an experience, walk me through something that's happening. And I, I really appreciate that. I think the production on this is really cool and really interesting. I think Ben has been experimenting with different elements of production and sound and re- 
and recording. There's moments, yeah, like every sound on here, I think is very thought through and thought about and and uh, placed within the the makeup of the song itself. It serves the song, you know? I think Ben knows what he wants something to sound like and he creates that sound. And what's really cool about that though is the songs themselves are really traditional rock and roll. Like, um, and that's not to say there's not other influences in there, but it's very much like uh, I hear Bruce Springsteen, I hear the Rolling Stones, some things like that, or maybe some rancid, but uh, definitely more of a traditional rock and roll thing. And so the production kind of makes it so you don't feel like you're in those sort of traditional songs. Like there are moments where there's, you know, an overdriven guitar is like just a little too overdriven or the the vocals sound far away or like through a radio or something like that. It keeps it really interesting. I don't know. It's just a great set of songs I from a great songwriter. I mean, I could talk about Ben all day. He's, like I said, one of my favorite songwriters, one of my favorite musicians uh, to be around, to see, to hear, to play with. It's a great record. And so you all should listen to it. And that's kind of the the um, the end of the story. So, yeah. What do you think, Dan? Yeah, I like this a lot. This record to me, it, it, it reminded me a lot of, at least in the beginning, like the first three or four songs mm -hmm. reminded me a lot of like just old school country. Mm -hmm. um, I think that there was a huge element of that, particularly the first song. I think Ben's got a, a fantastic voice, mm -hmm. always has. I remember the Heart Attacks CD from a mm -hmm. long time ago and um, always enjoyed his stuff. The songs here are just great. And it was a hell of a palate cleanser. Um, after listening to the two double albums, mm -hmm. uh, no shade at all to the double albums because they were great, but this was just a fantastic, it was awesome because this, I listened to this after I listened to the double albums mm -hmm. and it was just nice to sit back and, you know, listen to like, just kind of like you mentioned, traditional songwriting, you know, mm -hmm. um, and just let it kind of flow through me, you know? And also, this was considerably a lot shorter than those records. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of great Americana sounds on here. Um, I would think that if you're a fan of Sunvolt, The Replacements, early Hank Williams, and of course, like you mentioned, Bruce Springsteen, I would even say parts of it reminded me of like John Mellencamp mm -hmm. or something like that. But also with a... Um, definitely a punk influence, a punk attitude. And I agree with you a hundred percent about the production. Um, I think that each song had kind of a unique production. And um, the thing that I really liked about it is it, it sounded almost like an AM station, like an mm -hmm. AM radio station. I would kind of suspect just listening to the production on here that he was channeling a little bit of that sort of like punk DIY mm -hmm. um, production, which I think that's kind of what AM country. And I don't know, AM country is kind of a, just a made up genre in my head. Mm. Cause when you, anytime you tune the radio to AM and there's a country song that comes on, it just sounds punkier. If that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's, not really a true genre, but yeah. So I, I hear definitely a little bit of like um, something like rancid going on. Mm -hmm. um, I hear a little bit of like, I don't know, gaslight Anthem, Chuck Reagan, even that record that um, I picked a couple weeks back from Jim Lindbergh, mm -hmm. you know, stuff like that. Um so what I think this is, is it's a, it's a great combination of old school country, which I really, really like a little bit of like, I don't really want to say folk punk, but I kind of think that's sort of yeah. what it is mm -hmm. really, really good songwriting and just, I don't know, roots rock. Cause mm -hmm. I definitely hear the traditional rock. One of the things about the production too, 
-hmm. it almost sounded like if the Velvet Underground were a country group, how I would describe like Mm -hmm. the production anyway, because it kind of had like that sort of reverby thing, which there's another country artist that on at least some of his stuff, I think channeled that. Hmm. And that's Dwight Yoakam. Oh, yeah. So sure. I I, I kind of heard a little bit of Dwight Yoakam influence. I'm not sure how much that is an influence on Ben, mm-hmm. but I heard that at least in the production. And I love that. It's, yeah, it's it's kind of reverby, kind of, um, you know, sort of like a dusty production that just, I don't know, it sounds like listening to radio when it's not necessarily coming in like the greatest or the cleanest, but I think that's a great thing. Um, Cause I don't really like my country clean anyway, you know? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I think if you're into Sunvolt replacements, early Wilco, Dwight Yoakam, anything that Eric's played bass on. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. You'll love this. <laughs> there you go. Oh, <laughs> so boy. yeah, I yeah. really, I really enjoyed it a lot. And also, I should mention that Brooke Strauss did the cover art for this, which is really a cool illustration. Um, and Oh, uh, he did the cover to that. Yeah. I was going to say, I yeah. really, really liked the cover because I had right. uh, a very comic book feel to it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> what all well, did we I learn think we did a, I don't. I think we did a double length uh podcast as well. i think we did yes this uh well i mean it is it's a special occasion it's yeah 81st of course i mean that's a milestone everyone celebrates everyone celebrates 81 yeah yep. um so we learned today that the 10 records uh the 10 best records of 1981 are interesting yeah and some of them um, were the best some of them were the best yeah uh we learned that eric plays bass sometimes mm. Yeah. Um, we learned that Dan, what, what does Dan do? I, I mean, what do I, uh, do? well, you want to start a, a band. That okay. Like I want to start a Dan's band. can band. A can band. That's right. I right. want to start a Dan can band. Mm-hmm. And then we also learned, um, how to love. Oh my God. All right. <laughs> I mean, not each other, but you know, how to love, like yeah, we were just I, I learning like to love. Yeah. That's yeah. all we're doing with this podcast. We're learning yeah. to love each we'll, and every one of you listeners. We'll get there. We'll get yes, there. we'll get there. And um, if you have any questions or concerns, <laughs> please contact us on Facebook. Yeah. Did you know I'm back on Facebook now, Eric? I saw a singular post. I didn't uh-huh. know if it, it was an indicator that you were back back. Well, but, you know, let me put cool. it to you this way. I'll be back for about a week. Then I'm yeah. going to... Uh, hijack out of there again oh yeah well there you go yeah high tail excuse me high tail high tail out of there again <laughs> that i think that's gonna be my approach with facebook i'm gonna show up go. every once in a while just to yeah. annoy people well if you only check it once every two weeks it's kind of the same effect right right exactly yeah. so so there you go it, I'm, I'm getting to where i'm wanting <laughs> I'm getting to where uh, I'm which is what we all want that's what we all want. We all want to, to get, get to where, where we want to get to where we want. Yes. Okay. Well, <laughs> thank you for listening to our double album, 81st Spectacular. Wow. Extravaganza. Uh, extravaganza. Yeah. And y'all be safe out there now, you hear? Yeah, have a, a fun have a fun time. Have a fun time in the zone. The fun that, was, zone. that was a great say goodbye. Oh my god. Alright. You ready? Oh, have a good week, everyone. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>